get it. Wednesday, December 4th, 2019. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving Day break and spent time with your families. I too spent the holiday eating some delicious food, but I also spent the holiday weekend putting together this new edit suite. That's right. This week, we finally moved out of the in-laws basement, said goodbye to that dreadful college dorm desk, and this is the very first recording from the new studio. Might sound a little hollow right now due to the soundproofing that still needs to be installed, but hey, we're getting there. Couple of ratings, no new reviews this week. Remember, the more you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, the better chance other veterans out in podcast land get a chance to listen in and hear not only these great stories, but the benefits breakdown episodes and the information provided in the news releases. Speaking of news releases, no news releases over the holiday weekend. I guess I guess they were on holiday break as well. So we're gonna go just right into this week's interview. Now about the interview. It was the first record on a new machine in a new place. Ergo, I did not have my normal mic hooked up correctly to the software that I use to record remote interviews. So the sound is pretty, let's just say echoey, for which I I totally apologize. However, our guest sounds great, and he does most of the talking anyways, which is great in the end because he's got a great story. He is a Vietnam veteran who stood up an MP station in Da Nang. After service, he became a criminal investigator for the federal government. And after retiring, he went from unloading trucks in Arlington to becoming the chairman of the board of directors for Reese Across America. He is Army veteran Wayne Hansen. Enjoy. So you're probably the first person I've ever interviewed from Maine. What sports teams do people from Maine root for? It's got to be New England Patriots uh, for, for football and the Bruins, I guess, for hockey. Of course, not, I, I live here now in Springfield, Virginia, and so we always keep wishing that the Redskins will do something. But uh. <laughs> Everybody laughs at that. Well, Wayne, I am for, I'm, to let you know here that I am from Seattle. Uh-huh. So as a, you know, as a Patriots fan, I, I kind of – <laughs> you know, just like everybody else in the NFL for the past 20 years have a little, uh, little nobody, nobody likes them. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we should have ran, should have definitely ran. Um, you started your career in, in, in 67, your military career. Uh, yes. Now, did you accept the commission or was it through a draft? Uh, no, uh, I, I went to the university of Maine and, uh, in the ROTC program up there. And, uh, I just was, uh, fortunate enough to be the outstanding senior graduate. So I was offered a regular army commission, uh, as a second lieutenant, uh, upon graduation in, in May of 67. That's got to take a lot of, uh, I mean, I, I think of 67, I think of that time frame. it's the height oh, of Vietnam war. Sure was. Um, takes a lot of bravery to accept the commission during that time. Well, that's, uh, I had taken uh, three years of high school ROTC in Bangor also. So I was kind of, uh, looking, uh, in that, career field to, to start off with. And I, I was commissioned as a military police officer. Uh, My dad was, uh, was chief of police up in Maine. Uh, 
And uh, I just enjoyed uh, that type of uh, career field and wanted to stay in it. So when I was commissioned uh, at the time, when I was commissioned, the MPEs were not uh, a combat arms. So uh, I had to do uh, uh, a year of uh, infantry. I actually went to infantry officers basic down at Fort Benning. Mm. And uh, I had to do a year of combat arms, and I did that up in Alaska. Roger. Give me either a, and we ask this with every guest, give me either a best friend or your greatest mentor while you were in. While I was in the military? Yes, sir. Uh, um, I would say Ray Lindemood. Uh, he was uh, my operations officer. Uh, uh, I met him over in Vietnam when I was in Vietnam. And then uh, when I, uh, after my rotation from Vietnam, I went to Fort McClellan, Alabama, and uh, Ray was my operations officer at the CID detachment there. And Got you. What did he uh, What did he teach you? Oh, I guess I mean family was number one. Uh, he uh, uh, we we became very close friends. Uh, our, our kids played with their kids, and they kind of just grew up together. And uh, in fact, Ray is uh, is buried at Arlington. I'm the coordinator for Arlington, and uh, we always make sure Ray gets a wreath. Uh, he has passed on. Roger. But uh, just uh, uh, I, I think family was uh, what he what he considered uh, the most important factor and something that, that was impressed me, and uh, I tried to uh, emulate him. Very good. Very good. So, uh, Wayne, was it was it one or two tours of Vietnam? One. I was. I went over September of '69. Uh, came back September of '70. Uh, as an MP officer, I, you know, I have all the admiration for those guys that were out in the jungles. Uh, for most nights, I had a cot to sleep in, and uh, uh, but uh, I was given the task of uh, taking over. Uh, the guide on for B Company of the 504th MB Battalion when the Marines started phasing out of uh, Da Nang. And they sent me down to uh, Da Nang with the guide on and 12 MPs and said, uh, take over the what we call combined patrols. And uh, I had to find billeting space and uh, had a mess hall, had a, a motor pool. And I imagine it had to have been hard. You know, especially in, in the '70s, that didn't have the rigorous drug testing that we do that we did in my time. Mm -hmm. uh, managing uh, gentlemen, soldiers, Marines that came out of the jungle. It, it and, was and, and being an MP on those bases. Exactly. <laughs> exactly that. That and uh, the 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 warm beer. Uh, you know, I, again, we're in a combat situation. We, uh, my responsibilities uh, when I was in Fubai was uh, at the headquarters company. We ran MP. Uh, convoy escorts and uh, from the DMZ down to Da Nang and uh, uh, mm. when uh, everything in what was called I-Corps at that time was it was off limits uh, unless you had official business and of course guys have a tendency to get into these towns and <laughs> drink a little heavily and you know we realized all that we tried to be the best we could but uh, uh, sometimes you have to not only fight the enemy but you got to fight your own side <laughs> Roger <laughs> so um when you left service in, in 71, why did you decide to get out? Well, again, uh, my Ray Lindemood, uh, mm. as my operations officer, he retired. He was a chief warrant officer, and uh, uh, he retired and went to work with the uh, inspector general's office uh, at, uh, in Atlanta uh, as a criminal investigator. And 
I was looking at whether I wanted to continue on in the military as a, as a career. And uh, Ray said, uh, you know, why don't you consider uh, the inspector general's office yeah. at agriculture? And uh, I said, agriculture, you know, what does that have to do with uh, investigating and learned about what the inspector general does? So uh, yeah, enlighten, enlighten me. What, what were some of the things that you did? Well, uh, when I got out and uh, went over and applied for uh, for a job with the IG's office, uh, I was assigned there to Atlanta at first. And we did uh, with agriculture, of course, you had personnel type investigations, but uh, we had uh, marketing, uh, you know, fruit marketing. Uh, there's all kinds of regulations that involve agriculture. A uh, big one that I was uh, involved with mostly was uh, uh, the tobacco industry. Uh, I went from Atlanta up to Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, where they had uh, the misidentification of uh, tobacco. I don't uh, Tobacco is regulated or back then was regulated. Uh, you, each farm could only grow because of a, a based on their history. They could only grow so many pounds of to, uh, flu cured tobacco. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, and they would be given like a credit card that says, all right, your particular farm here, you're, you can grow, we'll say 10,000 pounds. And uh, if you had a good year, uh, you might have raised 15,000 pounds of tobacco. So you're trying to say, what can I do with those extra 5,000 pounds? So you would go to somebody who had a bad year and uh, uh, buy their their card. (laughs) And that's called misidentification of tobacco because it all goes into your farm history. So uh, we often walked the fields to measure... uh, (laughs) crop uh, leftovers and things like that. And then uh, also with the big uh, grain industry, uh, with uh, grain being shipped overseas under the 4L, 4, uh, PL480 program, where uh, grain was given to, to certain countries and there was all kinds of uh, fraud and corruption involved in that, in that uh, uh, ships would come in that offload oil and uh, then they were supposed to pay a cleaning team to come in and clean out the oil and then they'd load it with grain and uh, they Sometimes didn't, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Mm. A lot of that uh, grain set in the oil, and uh, uh, some of the grain industries were cheating the government because uh, when they were shipping it out, they would uh, steal a little from within the whole uh, elevator complex and uh, get it back in. After it's been weighed, they take it back in, weigh it again. So we we bought it twice. So there's a lot of corruption, crime going on. A lot of, a lot of corporate Inter- corruption, corporate, yeah. cor- a lot of corporate corruption, a lot of... Uh, yeah, I think we of, ended up, as I recall, over 100 and in the, just the grain industry itself was, I think we had over 140 uh, indictments. Interesting. Interesting. And then you also became a Department of Labor uh, investigator for, for the Inspector General there. Right. What type, of, there. what type of crimes were in the Department of Labor? Well, again, you had a lot of personnel. I was involved with security for the secretary also, but uh, my uh, big uh, program was workers' compensation program where federal employees uh, who are injured on the job and uh, apply for workers' compensation. Uh, A lot of fraud in those. My my major uh, area of of work uh, while at, at labor was conducting investigations of Government employees who were supposed to be injured, not able to work, but yeah, were fraud in the government. Right. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So, uh, I'm going to back up a little bit. What was the transition like? We always talk about military transition on board the battle. What was transition like in '71 with Vietnam still going on? <sighs> well, it, you know, as you know, uh, back then uh, the the GIs that were uh, coming back from Vietnam, it wasn't a popular war. Uh, it was. Uh, 
uh, oftentimes uh, you hear that uh, the people were told to take off your uniform when you come back because you're going to be uh, spit on, called baby killers and, and things like that. So it was a, uh, a very trying time. Uh, it, uh, you know, especially for the uh, younger guys coming back and, and realizing that. Uh, fortunately, I was enough to, you know, had a, a decent job waiting for me. So it was yeah. uh, something that uh, uh, didn't impact me personally so much, but uh, there, it was a bad time. For, but you, for but you saw it. It was something oh, you yes. saw. And, and, and yep. um, you know, nowadays there's what, over 56,000 nonprofits, um, a lot of support services. A lot of support being, for veterans. Yeah. Yes. Is, is that something that you saw back then? Uh, not, not really. I mean, I think, uh, uh, at the time, uh, people didn't understand, you know, now we have the PTSD and things like that. Uh, they didn't understand that, I guess, back, uh, uh back in the sixties that, uh, we had a lot of, a lot of stuff now that's coming up with the, uh, agent orange and, yeah. and things like that, that are affecting, uh, those that served during that period. But we didn't, we didn't know about it at that time. Uh, Iraq and NFL are doing a lot of work in the TBI field. Right. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, and I've had a lot of Vietnam veterans on the show. Um, and it's a, it's a similar story. It's a, it's a very similar story. And I, I always want to make sure I tell uh, you gentlemen who came before us. Um, it was a cross that you guys had to bear. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a reason that post 9-11 veterans enjoy the support that they have today. So right. I, I would not be rem- I would be remiss to not thank you for no. for bearing that cross. No, appreciate oh. it. Now in your retirement, you're now ha- in your full retirement. You retired with the with the with the government. Mm-hmm. Um, you're heavily involved with Reese across America. For those that don't know, their mission is to um, remember fallen U.S. veterans, honor those who serve, and teach children the value and I would say the cost of freedom. That's what we say. Yes. Um, and if anybody has, has, has ever been to Arlington National, especially around December, you can visually see the impact of what Reese Across America does every, around every Christmas. Um, you're currently the Reese Across America's chairman of the board of directors. Uh, yes. but, your, but your involvement didn't start as the chairman, correct? No, no. Started just as a, a volunteer uh, loading, uh, unloading boxes from that one truck that uh, uh, back in. Uh, it all began uh, with, uh, I call it the power of one, with, with uh, Moral Worcester. Uh, having in 1992, having roughly 5,000 wreaths left over from his wreath making business and him recalling a trip he had made to uh, Arlington uh, as a 12 year old boy that uh, he had won a trip to, uh, to DC selling newspaper subscriptions. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, as part of the tour, they toured Arlington. So when he found himself with those 5,000 wreaths that uh, the holiday season was ending and he didn't want to just toss them away. He said, uh, I want to take those down to Arlington and put them on the headstones of those uh, veterans down at Arlington. So uh, he got a hold of uh, Olympia Snow, the senator from Maine at the time, and they got a hold of Arlington and Arlington said it's, well, nobody's ever done anything like that before. But uh, after they thought about it, they said, okay, I guess it'd be all right. So Morrow got a, a truck donated to him, and they drove it down overnight. And, from uh, Maine? From Maine. And wow. they, they got uh, 
a hold of an organization we belong, belong to down here in the, in the metropolitan D.C. area, uh, the Maine State Society. It's a social group that uh, most states have, have a social group. Uh, and uh, they asked for some help. And uh, Morrill said uh, uh, that he says I was there in 1992, but I can't find anything for sure that says I was. My name's not on a piece of paper or in a photograph or anything I could find. And uh, But from, from 93 on, uh, I was there to unload uh, boxes of wreaths and, and, uh, and start to put them down. Uh, we had a gentleman from the society who uh, was kind of the coordinator, uh, just contacting Arlington, uh, making arrangements of what section they want us to cover and things like that. And he had done that from, from 92 to 2005. Wow. In 2005, he kind of said, well, he was getting tired or getting old and somebody else had to step up. So Wayne stepped up and... Uh, <laughs> I uh, took over as the coordinator uh, for the society with Arlington. Mm. And that was the same year that uh, that hit, iconic picture was taken of the uh, by an Air Force photographer who happened to be one of the volunteers because uh, Morrill had never sent or out, looked for any publicity for what he was doing. It was just his personal tribute to the veterans. And at that time, the uh, Internet was available, and he put that on the Internet. And that was the same year that I took over as the coordinator. And that's when everything hit the fan and uh, people started saying uh, that was all fake, that uh, they would have heard about this. Uh, you know, they said it was false news and everything. And they started checking and finding out that, no, he had been doing that all those years. And uh, uh, the following year where they had coverage from the, Japan and all over the uh, world and sent people down to... Uh, Arlington on Wreath Day to uh, see that this was actually happening. And uh, when it became newsworthy, uh, people said, gee, we want to help Morrill remember the veterans. So they started sending him money saying, hey, we want to help. How can we help? And uh, Morrill, again, wasn't a 501c3 organization. He was in the profit business. So he actually had to hire somebody to uh, track the funding wherever possible and return it wherever possible. And uh, Cause he wasn't because in, he, at this point he had never thought about making a nonprofit. He was just like, never, this is just what I'm his, doing. His personal tribute. So he, his family got together when the, when these people across the country started saying, we want to help. And they said, Hey, you know, if, uh, if there's people out there that want to help us remember the veterans and honor them, uh, let's put in for a 501 C three. So the family got together His his wife, Karen, um, and his kids got together and they put in the paperwork in 2006 and we were approved in 2007. And that's the birth of the organization known as Reese Across America in 2007. Interesting. So, of course, we could see Re what Reese does every at Arlington every December. Um, yes. What else does the organization do? Is it just Arlington now or, do you, oh, or oh, now no. you guys are? Yeah. We, uh, it, we started uh, with Arlington, uh, that one location. Uh, at when we were formed uh, as a 501c3, we uh, increased it to a, a couple hundred locations. We had uh, uh, we wanted to do uh, the uh, national cemeteries and state veteran cemeteries where we could. We needed to have a coordinator who would agree to uh, holding a ceremony and, and things like that. But we've grown from that one location uh, back in 2000, or really 1992. Uh, last year, we had over 1,700 locations. 
wow. all across the country. And uh, so this uh, is this is going beyond national cemeteries, state cemeteries. There's, yes. We, wow. Yeah, we have uh, any place that has veterans and and has a, a person who will, will be a what we call a location coordinator holding the ceremony. Uh, to uh, on wreath day, we we wreath day is always the same all across the country, with a few exceptions. Like at West Point, they do them a little bit earlier because of the cadets leave uh, uh, for the holidays and like that. But uh, we we try to have a ceremony and we try to coordinate our ceremonies. That uh, we say start your ceremony wherever you are. Start it at noontime Eastern time, because mm. uh, that's the time that we are completing our work at Arlington because we start earlier at Arlington and we end our uh, ceremony day uh, at Arlington at the Tomb of the Unknowns, placing a special wreath uh, at the Tomb of the Unknowns at noontime. And we figure uh, what we're requesting our other coordinators do if they start their ceremonies around that same time, uh, basically all across the country, we have a, a moment of uh, silence and appreciation for our veterans going on at the same time. Interesting. Interesting. So it's a coordinated moment of silence. Yes. Very good. Wayne, why after retirement, and you've been doing this a long time after your retirement, why is it important for you and why is it important for other veterans to serve organizations like Wreath Across America after their military service? Ooh, uh, I'll tell you a story that happened back in 2013. Okay. Uh, up to that period of time, we weren't able to cover all of Arlington. Uh, you know, we didn't have enough sponsorships uh, to help us. We, we rely on uh, individual sponsorships and some corporate donations. Uh, we get no government funding. But in uh, 2013, uh, my wife and I do what we call special requests, where someone uh, last year, we'll say Section 52 was uh, covered that the, the cemetery officials would assign us different sections in the cemetery that they wanted covered each year because we weren't able to cover the whole cemetery. So they moved us around and we'll say that section 52 was covered last year. So it wasn't scheduled to be covered this year mm. uh, in 2013. But uh, we have somebody that uh, lives out in California or Washington state. And, and they say, Hey, my husband's buried uh, in section 52. And I know that 52 was covered last year, but I've sponsored a couple of wreaths and uh, I, I want uh, to make sure my husband gets, gets a wreath. Would you do that uh, special request for us? So my wife and I go in after wreath day and spend uh, uh, the next few days uh, doing these special requests. Oh, wow. And we were doing, I was carrying a wreath into a section that wasn't supposed to be covered, but had uh 50 or 60 wreaths scattered in this big section. And as I'm walking by, there's a gentleman standing uh, in the cemetery because it's holidays and many people visit Arlington. Uh, and as I walked by him, he stopped me and said, excuse me, he says, you know, what are all these wreaths? And he's looking across the street and sees the section next to it, they're completely covered. And these few scattered in, in the section he's standing in. So I proudly tell him about wreaths across America and we're there to remember, honor and teach. and. Uh, to thank the service members for their service and sacrifice. And he said uh, four words to me that uh, keep me going every day now. And, and he says, what about my son? And uh, he happened to be standing in front of, a, of, of his son's marker. And it just so happened that the line coming up to where his son's marker was, there was four or five wreaths in a row. 
and you know it ended and his son didn't have a wreath oh. and uh it it uh it, it really hit me hit me hard and it, and it does today every time i think about it i, I tear up a little because i said geez how many other people come to arlington and as a coordinator that's what that's the one i was concerned with most is how many come to arlington when that last wreath is placed and their loved one their their mother father sister brother aunt, uncle whatever doesn't have a wreath and fortunately we, we had an extra one that, uh, that we gave him so he had one but you know it, it i i made a promise to myself right then i said I, i've got to do whatever i can to make sure we cover arlington but then this year we'll have close to 1800 locations and all of those don't get filled yeah and and we don't want to forget our veterans we you know the old saying you die twice you die once when your heart stops beating and you take that final breath, but you die a final time when your name is spoken by somebody for the last time and then you're forgotten. Yeah. And we don't want to forget our veterans. That's why we, we tell our volunteers at all of our locations, when you place that wreath, say that name out loud so they're not forgotten. Thank them for their service and sacrifice, but say the name. And that's what we need people to come in and help us, the volunteers uh, and the veterans, to realize that, hey, these guys and ladies have, have died uh, either in service or uh, after their service, protecting the freedoms that we have. And that's why we want to teach the kids. We, we tell the kids, hey, when you place that wreath down, take down a name. We've got the Internet now and Google. You can Google that person. Uh, find yeah. out about them. Learn a little bit about them. I, I call Arlington a, 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 a library because behind every stone there's a story. Yeah. Learn that story. Pass it on to somebody. You know, there's uh, yeah a, a lot to be discovered in a cemetery. That's that story. I, I got no words. You know, <laughs> I would feel yeah. the same exact way. Well, that that's what makes me continue to do what I do. And uh, uh, just that one man uh, when he said, "What about my son?" It, it, uh, Wayne, what is one skill that you learned in service that you apply to what you do today? I guess to to listen uh, to 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 others, uh, to work with with others. Uh, uh, when uh, when they gave me those twelve uh, MPs and the guide on to go down to Da Nang, I had to do a lot of listening and and. Uh, and talking to people saying, hey, I need this, I need that. Uh, uh, so I, I think uh, to, to work as a, as a group uh, towards the accomplishing your goal. Roger. Now, I mean, this, this episode will go out in December. So you got, you got Reef Day is coming up. Um, what do you have planned in December? What support, what kind of support do you need, still need that for, for, that, for that day coming up? Well, right now, uh, we just had our last team meeting. Our, we have a logistics uh, team that works with the ANC officials uh, uh, and, a, and a group of volunteers we have on a team that uh, to figure we're going to be bringing 67 semi-trucks, loads of wreaths into Arlington. Oh, wow. Uh, we're going to be doing 57 of those. will be placed on Friday afternoon uh, within the cemetery. And then... Uh, uh, and what, what, what date is that going to be? Uh, wreath Day is Saturday, December 14th. The cemetery will open up to the public at 8 o'clock. Uh, last year was a miserable, a miserable, cold, rainy day. Uh, 
but we still had 60, over 62,000 people show up to help us. How many? 60, over 62,000. Just, just for Arlington? Just for Arlington. We have millions oh of volunteers God. in all of our locations. But if you would have, I mean, that day was just miserable. When we that got is it, amazing. When we got up in the morning uh, from the hotel to get into those, uh, the, con the convoy cars coming in, uh, we have... Uh, uh, to, to drive into into Arlington when that rain, like that. and I was saying, let's see, we've got maybe 200 people uh, in the convoy uh, between the truck drivers and uh, Chevy. Uh, You're doing some math in your head. <laughs> yeah, and I'm saying 200 into, and we did 200 and roughly 252,000 wreaths at Arlington. And I'm saying that's gonna take us into Sunday <laughs> to, <laughs> to get this done. But 62,000 people showed up. And a, a couple of years before that, it was a beautiful weekend. And unfortunately you have to, it's in today's society, you have to go through security to yeah. get into a cemetery, which is kind of weird, but uh, the cemetery people stopped counting on that good day at over 93,000 people. Wayne, that is amazing. They were actually counting them coming in, and they just stopped at 90, 92, 93,000. Just a, it's to see families, and this is what we encourage is it, have the family. A lot of people will get a hold of us and say, Can I bring my children? And we say, Yes, please, that we want you, your children. They have to learn that cost of freedom. Absolutely. That is amazing numbers. Oh, yeah. Uh, it kind of. And, you know, D.C., you know, for someone that's never been to D.C., you would think that it's one of the most patriotic places. And a lot of times it's not. Let's no, be real. It's like, yeah, you but, can go but, it, but, but something like that kind of would help restore your faith a little bit. Well, it does in the and and probably the majority, probably ninety five percent of those people coming in don't have somebody buried there. It's not a relative, you know. Uh, it's it's they understand the mission. They want to help. Uh, they want to thank the veterans and like that. So that's very encouraging to see, and especially when they bring the young kids out. Uh, to to show them uh, the cost of freedom and and what these people have done and they they learn something and we say if you come once you get it uh, a lot of people will come and from all over the country uh, years ago I talked to a man from from Hawaii that said he was flying in to help in Arlington and I told him you know uh, I appreciate it you know but wow. gee, that's a long cost to come he said no I want to come. I'm not coming to visit Washington D.C. I'm coming to help place wreaths at Arlington. Wow. So they would come like that. So they come from all over and, uh, they, and they may not have, you know, a lot do have family members, but the, the majority are not family members. Has that gentleman ever heard of the punch bowl? Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> well, I, I consider Arlington our nation's cemetery because we have true. people buried from every state and, and from true. every conflict buried there at Arlington. So uh, yeah. it is a historic place to visit. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That's amazing. Outstanding. Um, we, Wayne, other than... Reese across America. What is one nonprofit or veteran in the veteran space that is a good example for other veterans to know about? Well, of course, you hear wounded warriors. Uh, you know, there there are so many uh, that are out there that that help, uh, especially now the guys coming back from overseas that uh, uh, are missing arms and legs and, and, yeah. and like that. Uh, the Gary Sinise Foundation is a great one, you know, providing homes and facilities for these uh, uh, combat injured and deserve our uh, our attention. And, and I think you mentioned that there's so many of those out there now that are uh, set up to help 
Uh, and, and that's one of the questions we often get at, at Reese Across America is, why should I give you $15 to put something on a, on a headstone of a person who's died and uh, it's going to be removed in a month or so uh, when there's uh, an individual over here with both legs missing. That, that and, I can help right now. Right. And, yeah. and we say, well, there are so many organizations out there to help that individual, but very few set up to, to honor those that have made the ultimate sacrifice uh, yeah. uh, and, and are being forgotten. Wayne, is there anything else that I haven't asked that you think it's important to share with our audience? Just that uh, we, we need their support. I was just looking at uh, the figures for Arlington. We're, we're short uh, on our goal right now. Uh, the cutoff for our, we have fundraising groups that, that support all, all of our locations. Uh, you know, Boy Scout troops, Girl Scout troops, churches, uh, BFWs, American Legion Post, and like that, that uh, raise funds for us by selling sponsor. You know, I hate to use the word sell, but that's what it is. It's you, you sell a sponsorship of a wreath for fifteen dollars. Hey, call it what it is. That's what it is, and uh, it's like selling Girl Scout cookies, I guess. But uh, knowing that that money is is uh, going to uh, produce wreaths uh, that'll go on a on a veteran's grave. Uh, and we, we just need the support. Uh, our cutoff date, I think, is December 2nd uh, for these fundraising groups to uh, turn in all their their funding and, and like that. So we really don't know what we have for Arlington, but it's always uh, uh, one of the top things on, on uh, my Christmas wish list is to make sure we cover all of Arlington. Because, again, I don't want to have that, that one stone missing and have a, a parent stand there and say, what about my son? So... Uh, uh, if we can get out and get the word out that we need support, uh, go on our wreathacrossamerica.org website and sponsor a wreath for us. Uh, it helps out tremendously. Gotcha. What would one piece of advice that you would have for a transitioning veteran uh, as, a, as like a parting shot? <sighs> Number one, don't give up. Uh, we, we hear 22 a day uh, committing suicide. Uh, uh, don't give up. There's help out there. Uh, seek that help. You, you, you're loved. You, you, we want to be. We want to thank you for what you do. Uh, so uh, don't turn that way. Uh, go to somebody. Somebody will talk with you uh, to prevent. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the thing of 22 a day, uh, one a day is too many. Uh, there is help there. Seek it. The VA does a very good job on the medical side. I don't know of anybody that has any complaints. My primary care doctor is probably the best doctor I've ever had in my life. He was one of my friends, good patient of mine. He only comes once a week, but I enjoy, I enjoy him. She comes in special. Yes, early I in the do. morning. Early in the Just morning. For me. That's exactly why I choose VA. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. show this week. For more information about Reese Across America, you can go to Reese Across America. That's Reese Across America, all one word, no spaces, no dashes, no anything. ReeseAcrossAmerica.org. There you can find all the information you need and all their social media handles. And even and they even have an online radio station.
And even though this year's donation window was going to pass at the time of this podcast posting, Wayne informed me that you can still donate at any time and it will go towards a wreath for the following year. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Army Veteran Orville Jackson. Orville Joseph Jackson was a farmhand with his family in Iowa when the Army drafted him in October of 1942. He entered service at Camp Dodge, then later moved to Louisiana for additional training. Jackson became an armor artificer for his company in the 103rd Division, 409th Infantry. Afterward, Jackson went to Camp House, House, H-O-W-Z-E, for about a year before he shipped to Europe. In October of 1944, Jackson fought in the Vogue's Mountains. In December of 1944, German tanks surrounded and fired upon the house Jackson and some other soldiers were in. Wounded in this engagement, the Germans captured him as a prisoner of war. After treatment for his injuries, Jackson transferred to a prisoner of war camp. And there, Jackson endured life as a prisoner of war for several months until forces liberated the camp in April of 1945. Processed in France and soon returning to the United States, Jackson received a 71-day furlough to recover in Arkansas. During this furlough, Jackson received an honorable medical discharge in October of 1945 at the rank of sergeant. For his service, Jackson earned a Bronze Star, a Purple Heart, the Prisoner of War Medal, the French, the French Legion of Honor, and other decorations. After returning home, Jackson went to Barber College in Cedar Rapids. He would own a barber shop in Bellevue, Iowa for over 20 years. He became a security guard at Savannah, at Savannah Army Depot and started a family. Jackson also kept in touch with the veteran community, including friends from when he served. Sadly, Orville Jackson passed away in May of 2018 at the age of 96. We honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, absolutely you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, if you're on the blog, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media. You can always find us with that blue check mark. I really need to find a way to soundproof this room. It's going to happen soon. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.